0: You're, 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 you're tuned you're tuned to It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati, the top podcast covering the defending AFC champion, Cincinnati Bengals, hosted by Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata at Odyssey Sports Podcast.
1: We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. I'm Lindsey Patterson, Mike Santagata. Mike, how you doing?
2: I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing, Lindsey?
1: I'm good. I'm going to start saying something different because maybe that will change what's going on in Cincinnati. Maybe they'll start getting wins. I don't know. I'll start the show differently next time. I promise if this doesn't work out for them on Sunday. But uh, there's plenty to talk about because we are recording this on a Wednesday. This is your Thursday, Friday preview to get you ready for game day. And we heard from quarterback Joe Burrow. He talks on Wednesdays and I don't know about you. I watched some of the clips, tried to listen in live, and he seemed really calm, cool collective his biggest message to the fans is hey relax you know we had some of these issues last year and look where that turned out for us or look how that turned out for for this squad you you make a run to the Super Bowl when you you know recap some of that press conference some of the things Joe said what really stood out for you
2: um yeah I don't know It's just kind of the same things you're saying here with just he seems calm cool this isn't bothering him none of I don't know. It seems like they're not panicked. Uh, Really what stands out to me is just, you know, Joe Burrow and his effect on the team in the locker room and off of the field. I don't know. Ever since he got to Cincinnati, it feels like those guys would uh, run headfirst through a brick wall for the guy. I mean, when he got here, I mean, it was the COVID year and then he's able to win over the locker room. And then also it was also during racial injustice. He unites the team with that just it feels like he's just a natural leader and I guess that's the same thing that we hear about him at LSU and everywhere else but that's what stands out is just I think it was more T Higgins said something like Burroughs not panicking so we're not panicking and I was like yeah that that makes sense
1: yeah I'm guilty of kind of comparing their start a little bit to last year yeah it's different because Joe hasn't looked like Joe but I think some of the comments that he made are some of the things that you know when you watch Joe Burrow's tape in this offensive line, when he was asked about his offensive line, here's the thing about Joe Burrow. You can ask him about his offensive line all day for two and a half years. He's never going to throw them under the bus or say they're playing bad. That's never, ever going to happen from Joe Burrow. He'll criticize himself. He'll talk about something else in the game. He will never, never throw his line under the bus. And one of the things he said was some of the things he could work on is getting rid of the ball sooner. And I think when you watch the tape from this past Sunday, that's something that's missing in his game. If he does get the ball out sooner, maybe that changes some of his clean pockets. Maybe he's not getting sacked or hit again. Um, You know, Do you think that's going to make a world of difference, what we see on Sunday with him?
2: I think it's weird because I do think he's got a little bit sped up and he's trying to scramble quicker. But I also do think like, well, yeah, I guess if he's – on time. What I think is that if the offense can get to more quick game concepts where he's taking quick three steps and the it's coming open, that's really what'll help the offensive line Uh, getting the ball out quicker. That's dependent on the wide receivers. And to me, the wide receivers weren't open and he was missing them. It was that he wasn't waiting for them to come open. So I think he's just kind of giving a little bit of a response. That's just like, that's on me. It's not on them. It's me. And even though, I think we know it's at least a little bit on them. It is a little bit on him, but it's a little bit on them. And he's never going to throw those guys under the bus. I mean, he's taken a beating two straight years. He's taken a beating through two games. And no matter what, he just always ends it with basically it's on me. We'll get better as a team, everything like that. So I appreciate the response because there are guys that probably would say like, you know (laughs) – Need to get a little bit better protection up front. Not single anybody out, but, you know, just as a unit or something like that. But he just blames himself and tries to uh, shift the focus away from the offensive line.
1: Yeah, that's one of the things, you know, what he said in his press conference when he said he got rid of his Instagram and Twitter. I highly recommend if you're an NFL athlete to stay off social media. I would delete every app. There's no way in the entire – I don't care if we were on our highest of highs – I wouldn't want anything to do with social media. I know some people like to interact with it. It it is fun to have athletes on there for fans and, and things like that. But man, I don't blame him one bit. I'd be deleting that the moment you probably lost your opener. Uh, so we'll see if Joe gets his Instagram back if they happen to pull out a win on Sunday. But I kind of want to steer over to lose comments because one of the topics of conversation you know, on social media when it comes to players getting reps and what we're seeing, we talked about it on the last podcast with Jesse Bates and the criticism he's getting for some of his play, which is a little wild to me, uh, rookie Dax Hill. And one of the things that's different about Zach Taylor, I feel like since he's been here and yeah, when you pick in the top five and the first pick in the draft too, you're going to play your rookies. Um, but we see more of the rookies getting reps early with Zach Taylor. Was that with, with, Zach, with uh, Marvin Lewis? I always felt like it was like one, maybe two years later, they're finally on the field. They're not on special teams and they're making a big impact, but we saw that with them. When you pick late in the first round, almost the second round, you get Daxel, who's more than likely going to be Jesse Bates replacement. We've talked about that before. Jesse Bates is more, He's not coming back. I'll just say that right now. Jesse Bates is not coming back to Cincinnati. So hopefully he makes the best out of this year. But Lou was asked just about that, maybe giving Jesse Bates a break, rotating Dax Hill. And he said, no, he he doesn't need that all, at all, referring to Jesse Bates. And he made a comment that, you know, the guys, the best guys are out there right now. And being around Xavier Howard when he was a rookie and that was not so good, getting those early reps, you could really use your confidence. He doesn't want to mess up the chemistry that the cornerback secondary room is currently feeling with the safety group, the corners, the DBs, all of them. He just wants it to be that tight knit group. And he doesn't really kind of feel that Dax Hill even made the reference to Cam Taylor Britt. He's coming off injury. And when he finally returns to the group, that it's going to be what we see right now. Do you think that's coach speak or do we still feel like Dax will get the reps when you see a different kind of quarterback?
2: I still think when you see a different type of quarterback, you'll probably get some more Dax reps. How many? I don't know. Lou does have a point and it's kind of what everybody's been saying since the draft is that this isn't going to be a year where Dax is going to start. So I'm not sure what people were expecting snap wise. I think you expect more than eight through two weeks. But again, like we've talked about, they didn't need him. Uh, It's not an offense that they need to get into any real dime looks. And when they have gotten in dime looks, they are looking more towards Trey Flowers than him. I will say that. And that is something that I kind of expected Dax to take that role, but Trey is good at it. So I I also can see why he's doing that. I also agree with him a few things. I like what he says about not rotating his uh, defensive backs, really your corners and safeties. They're kind of the offensive line of the defense. You don't notice them unless they're doing something bad. Uh, I guess they get interceptions too, but, <laughs> you know, when you notice them, it's usually not a good thing. And then to go with that, um, a lot of the techniques, that they're moving backwards. They're the only other position really that moves backwards for the most part, just like offensive linemen do in pass protection. So there's, a, there's quite a few similarities. And the rotation is another one because just like the offensive line has to pass off all these games and stunts, these corners – even in some man, they're called man match coverages. Uh, you'll have to pass off your receiver to the guy next to you and have communication to know you're yelling under because the guy's going to inside underneath five yards, you yell under, under to your teammate. They're going to yell something back to you to take the corner. You know, there's a lot of communication. There's a lot of, uh, there's just a lot of chemistry in the defensive back room. And I feel like that goes underappreciated. We talk a lot about how offensive line continuity but I think the defensive backs having all this continuity, especially like Bates and bell is something that we don't really talk about that much. And that's probably another reason besides the confidence. I think that's the other main thing I want to think about is just, he is right about the confidence. And you, when you start giving up receptions like that, you lose some confidence. Best thing that any player can have, but especially these corners are going against (laughs) all those wide receivers is confidence. I can, I can shut that guy down, you know, put me in man against that guy. No fear. You think about what Jeff Okuda maybe went through his first uh, year besides the injuries is just he went against like Devontae Adams the first week of the season. So I agree with a lot of what he's saying. I I think I want more Dak snaps still. I think they may come when you face bigger, more deadly passing offenses and maybe a fast quarterback in Lamar. But, yeah, I I do think uh, he's right with a lot of what he's saying
1: move on to the offensive line. I thought we really talked a lot about the offensive line when we dedicated a whole segment to it earlier in the week, but when your right tackle's not at practice uh, and he's one of your poor performing offensive linemen, it's worth bringing up. Lyle Collins wasn't at practice today, at least for the media portion. I think the bigger deal is what Thursday and even the Friday walkthrough looks like for this team in the offensive line, but what did you make of that and if if it may be more than you know, if if it's mental, if it's physical, what it what it could possibly be? But what would you make of who who's replacing him if he can't on Sunday?
2: This is concerning for me because I think I brought it up on the last episode where I think there might have been a lingering issue, injury wise, because of you know he's losing in unorthodox ways. He's spinning around, he's falling down all the time. It's not the Law of Collins that we've seen, and even if he's rusty, it to me was looking less like rust in week two than it was. week one week one i maybe i was just kind of thinking like going into the game thinking he was gonna be rusty so i expected it week two when i expect rust i expect bad hand placement and maybe like he's real slow out of his stance and he has been slow out of his stance like there is some rust there to that type of stuff but there's also the balance and all these other issues going on right now so it's concerning that the back injury popped up on the injury report and not only that but he didn't even practice at all not even a limited participant he could miss this game, realistically, whenever you get downgraded to out this early, and a Friday walkthrough is going to be more important for whether or not he plays, but he's clearly playing injured, and I think that's something we have to deal with. Who his replacement is? If you asked me before the season, I would have said Hakeem Energy. but Deontay Smith was the active extra offensive tackle last week, and he played. So is it Smith? Is it Adenogy? I don't know. Like if I had to pick one, I think I'd go with Adenogy just because in preseason he looked better. But I don't know. I I think they could go Smith.
1: I think they could go Smith because I still feel like Smith is part of the future with this offensive line room and how they want to develop it with Frank Pollock. Uh, we saw, I mean, a difference, I feel like, from Cordell Volson, which we talked about on the last podcast from week one to two and the things that he's learning from Frank Pollock in the offensive line room. So I think, I mean, it's, you're, you're 0-2 on the season. So you're trying not to risk too much. This can't, and Joe's been hit already too many times. You you don't want to make the wrong decision, But I also wouldn't be surprised if it is Hakeem and they switch to Smith in the game because you can't have something out there that's not working in the first half. Joe already talked about it. Those slow starts are killing those guys, you know, week one and week two. Got to go out and and get it done fast and and protect him. So I think it's going to be one guy, and if he's not performing at the first half, they'll take him out and replace him with. With what they do have, but offensive line depth is always going to be a question mark because we saw what Joe had to deal with in the Super Bowl, which is still insane. That guy was being protected by those that offensive line. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's not great. And maybe that's the biggest reason why Collins has struggled the way he has, and he wasn't healthy during training camp. He got little reps because of that coming off the injury So it's definitely concerning. I think tomorrow is going to be kind of more an ideal scenario of what we're gonna see and who. Who's getting most of the reps? What's that's going to look like? Because Friday is just your walkthrough. Um, you know, obviously, Lyle can he, he's a vet. He can if he's good to go on Friday, they're going to say you're good to go. You've already been through weeks of prep and you're still working in, in the rooms with the guys in the offensive line room. Um, you don't need those reps in practice. You'll be fine for the game. But if it's something that could linger, there's no way they're going to put him in that position to just see what he can do.
2: Yeah, I. it is possible. He's trying to push through the injury and play just because, you know, that's all these football players are tough. They all want to get out there and be on the field for every snap. Maybe he's not ready to go yet. And he didn't want to disappoint everybody. And he passed the, the physical, I assume. So I don't know if it's a very long term thing, but maybe it is. Who knows? Uh, things slip through the cracks. Sometimes you're hoping it's just uh, really the best outcome is what I haven't really brought up. is just like, yeah, he just needed a rest day for his back and you know, he's fine. And then he's, it was just rust in week two. I'm overthinking this, but I do think there's a strong possibility. injury has caused some of the issues that we've seen because these are the, it's the worst two game stretch of Vol Collins career. Um, and honestly, it's the worst two games I've ever seen him play. I went back and watched almost every game from last year. So I don't know. I hope he gets better because I think you can beat the Jets even. I would say. Are you sure? Beat... Be careful. <laughs> I still think they should beat the Jets and could beat the Jets even without Collins there with either a or Smith. You're going to give him a lot of help. You're going to protect that side more than the left side. You need Jonah more to step up because he's not going to be getting the chips all the time against our old friend, Carl Lawson, who I think still almost exclusively rushes from that side. So I, I think Jonah has to step up more than Smith or Adenogy will. They will, but they'll in pass protection, at least, they'll be getting a lot of help, I think. So can they win? Yeah, I think they should still win even without Collins, but it is a concern. The one thing I'll say is that at least you're not losing prime Collins down to whatever this is going to be if, they, if he has to sit out. You are kind of dropping from Collins, who's playing pretty poorly, into one of these two unknowns, so the drop off can't be too drastic. It could be it could be worse. Let's not say that Collins has been abysmal. He's been bad, but not abysmal. It could be worse, but uh it shouldn't be a drop from oh man, our great right tackle is out, and now we have a complete unknown in there. It's it's right now it's our injured rusty right tackle is out, and we're probably gonna get maybe slightly worse production.
1: I always say that they were Riley Reef away from winning the Super Bowl. If you think about that and Joe having time, I just, that right tackle position, uh, it's just, it's been hurting him for a little while. So, you know, hopefully everything is okay with Collins and we get a better update as the week goes on. They get ready for the Jets. We'll have predictions later on the show, but next we're going to get to your question in the mailbag for It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati.
0: eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, Roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This, this is It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata.
1: We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. It is the Bengals' mailbag. We'll get to the first question. Kevin Brown says, no team started 0-2 and made it to the playoffs last year. Does it apply to the Bengals this year?
2: I mean, no. I, I, did any of those teams that started 0-2, were they in the Super Bowl? Were they playoff teams the year before? Uh, it's a small sample. If you go back, it's about 9.5% over the past 10, I think, years that 0 and 2 teams would be able to make the playoffs. It's not at the point of the alarms are completely going off because I think this is a good team on paper. But to me, no. I, I don't think this applies to them. I think that's just a small sample size too. How many teams start 0-2? What do you think, Lindsay?
1: I think it's silly to think about And anything I know we've talked about Joe Burrow's poor play, but with him, anything is possible. I think a lot about last year. I know I should stop talking about last year because we should talk about 2022. T Higgins even mentioned that today, but I want to use this reference. Look, they break the playoff losing streak. They go to the afc championship game it's the first time in forever you know winning a game on the road in the afc championship game making history they do different things because they've joe burrow at quarterback and this team is really talented and i think they're going to be fine i don't think it applies to this team i i think you know they have a chance if they get the win on sunday to really even out to 500 on that big Thursday night game against the Miami Dolphins. So I don't think it applies to Cincinnati. We'll really get to know who this team is over the next couple of weeks. But I say, no, move on to Eric Olson. We'll stay with Joe Burrow because he's going to be the topic of discussion always. Number nine, he says, what's hurting Burrow more? Is it his pocket movement where sometimes he becomes a runner too early, or is it his eyes where he's missing open receivers?
2: I, I think he's running too early. I don't think he's really – I think week one he missed a couple. Um, some of them are real tough throws. And honestly, when you throw three, four interceptions, you're probably going to pass up some of the, uh, oh, let me squeeze that seam bolt, that bender in there in between the two safeties and over the linebacker. You kind of move from that to, okay, we're going to try to hit the safe route, the, the dig or something like that. So I think last week, or, or week one, maybe that was a little bit true. But this week, I don't think he missed the open receivers. He ended up not hitting them, but it was because he would start to run or try to escape or create um, out of structure something. You know, he he wasn't missing open receivers while sitting in the pocket w- looking for them.
1: We'll move on to Goose. He says Trey Hendrickson hasn't been the game wrecker he was last year. In the first couple weeks, he hasn't been, especially after hearing what a great training camp he had. What's the deal?
2: Well, um, I think week one you almost throw out because it was like a gimmicky, weird offense, the Wario offense. But week two, he had a lot of people helping against him, a lot of chips, a lot of other stuff. Guys other than DJ Reader, of course, aren't winning as as much as they should. I think I wanna see it was tough against Dallas because BJ Hill's going to get Zach Martin. So I'm not giving him too much flack. And honestly, Sam Hubbard did win a few reps uh, over the right tackle, so I think he was doing fine too. You want to see a little bit more out Trey Hendrickson. He got a lot of help. He was drawing all the chips, and it, it led to Sam Hubbard getting a sack. D.J. Reader being able to go one on one with their worst offensive lineman, just a lot of stuff like that. So, it does help when he's, you know, it's still getting that but you want to see the production because that's what he signed here for. We had the Carl Lawson before of, well, he can get pressure and he can draw the chips and he could do all this and they're going to game plan for him. But if he's not getting sacks and the team ends with 17 sacks on the year, which honestly that's more than they're on pace for right now <laughs> is uh, not great. Uh, that's, that's the issue is when your star guy isn't getting the production because as even though we all felt like Carl was a good player and he was getting the pressure and it wasn't really his fault, you need just that extra ten percent to be able to bring the quarterback down too and not just get this pressure.
1: We'll move on to Blake Jewell because you mentioned DJ Reader. G- DJ Reader is going to be an All-Pro because of your clips on Twitter, and we're, Dude, we're I all so. here for it. He said, uh, yeah. "Would you would you rather block DJ Reader or fight a grizzly bear with your?" With your hands tied behind your back?
2: I'd rather block DJ Reader, but this reminds me of one of my favorite things about Youngstown State University, my alma mater, where in the halls of the gymnasium, you think they have all the great athletes. Mm -hmm. They have a framed picture of UCLA Kevin Love posting up one of their players, and that would be me blocking DJ. I would have a framed picture in my house of me getting run over by DJ Reader.
1: I love it. I thought you were gonna say you saw it was like a grizzly bear photo, so I didn't really know where that story was going. But um. no, it's
2: just they, they <laughs> had a famous they had a famous athlete doing something to their player, and they framed it and put it up.
1: I love it. I love it. That that's what would happen. I want to see you go against C.J. Reader.
2: At oh, he kill me.
1: I mean, I don't want him. I want him to be nice. I don't want him to hurt you. Uh, well, we'll- <laughs> We'll we'll stay with uh, something we've talked about plenty of times on this podcast. I guess Taylor's not listening to the podcast because he's asking this question. I'll have to get on him about that. But he says, which of these fan favorites do you think could could make a difference with this team right now? Chris Evans or Dax Hill?
2: Dax Hill. Look. I think the Chris Evans thing is just blown out of proportion. I think he's very explosive. I think he's a very good athlete. The coaching staff just doesn't think he should be the running back to run the ball. And they value P. Piran's pass protection too much. I, now, I guess you could argue, is that right? When I see P. block blocking Mike Parsons one-on-one, I'm I'm hard-pressed to say that they're wrong in that <laughs> assumption. I think Chris Evans can take a 10-yard pass and turn it into a 20-yard pass, a two-yard dump off into a 10-yard gain. But really, that's, that's to me, not what they need right now. They need the pass protection help, and they need Mixon to be a good runner. So they have the best runner on the field, and they have the best pass protection guy. Do they have the best pass catcher? I don't know. That really could be Chris Evans. I just don't know if they need that with all the guys they have.
1: You said Smajay, and Joe Burrow gave him a shout-out for that block in his press conference earlier, and I thought of you.
2: He, he saw my Twitter clip.
1: He, he doesn't have Twitter right now, so he did not see that. Um, <laughs> we'll the Next guy, he says, "What are the main responsibilities of a? Head? I don't know this is so funny to me. Of a head coach, if they're not calling the plays, what do they actually do that is not already done by an OC or DC and all the other coaches? So, what are the main responsibilities?" I
2: think we have to stop thinking of these things as such absolutes, as if the head coach is sitting there with his Madden chart out and picking the play like that. Brian Callahan's up in the booth to give him suggestions, to give him help. Hey, you're getting a lot of cover two here. You're getting, you know, or when he sees them line up, they have all the communication, the headsets. And then further, it's not like they just walk into the game with their playbook in hand and start picking plays flippantly. I mean, you've got the first 15 that are scripted. You have a game plan, which really creates your menu of plays you're really choosing from, at least early on in the game. You're designing plays. You're designing scheme to work together. Frank Pollock's the run game coordinator, and he's trying to figure that part out. So this is a huge concerted effort. I think sometimes we really look at this as, well, that's the play caller, so that's the offense, and that cannot be further from the truth.
1: I have two things I want to add to that. I do think that every NFL team needs someone who's in charge of time management uh, because I feel like that could have helped Cincinnati in week one and week two uh, that it just sometimes you're so busy, especially if you're a head coach and you're doing, you know, the OC job and you have a lot of responsibilities. You got to do
2: personnel. You got to do personnel. Hey, it's, it's two point play. P Ryan, we need you to go block Parsons.
1: Especially, and I'm not even joking. I think every team and maybe they do and they just have like other titles, but you need someone in charge of clock management and what's going on in a game and your timeouts. You, you can't walk into halftime where you can't leave a game with timeouts in your pocket. I don't, and then I
2: don't, also, sorry, just to keep adding on to the things the head coach would do manage <laughs> everybody in the locker room. I think of what Mike Tomlin has done in the past where Antonio yeah. Brown's bottled up he's acted a little weird but when he leaves there he went full nuclear
1: okay and this is uh, this is not a pittsburgh podcast but our producer nick would appreciate this i think that tomlin should get more credit for dealing with ab because i can't even imagine what that was like behind the scenes and as you mentioned when he left it was like out in open this is who i am he was freezing uh, his feet
2: <laughs> the first week he left
1: he froze his feet I mean, crit, crit, you gotta give credit to Nick Tomlin there, because there was no way that I could have dealt with that. I mean, he had a lot of characters, that's for sure, and, and that's definitely one of them, and he, he did a good job uh, while he was there. We'll, we'll go on to the play calling, because I want to add something to this, and we'll we'll keep talking play calling Zach Taylor, Brian Callahan. Brandon says, if play calling was given to Brian Callahan, do you think he'd be prepared to call the plays, or do you think there would be much of a difference from Zach Here's the thing, and this is just me guessing and assuming when it comes to Zach Taylor in the play calling a Brian Callahan. And as you mentioned too, like Brian Callahan's in the room, I want to say a couple of years ago, maybe Joe Burrow's rookie year, they sit together. Joe. Zach Taylor, the quarterback coach, Brian Callahan, like two days before the game or or as they're getting ready for the game. And they went over plays, what they liked. They would say their favorite ones, what they felt. I mean, everyone is a part of that conversation. Yes, Zach pretty much has the final say in it. But for everybody wanting Brian Callahan to call the plays, I don't know how much different it really would look.
2: Think about when Andy Reid has handed his play calling off to like Matt Nagy and Eric Bieniemy does the offense look that different? It looks like the Andy Reid offense because you're calling plays that you have installed for the, it's not like you walk in and you could just Now maybe for like a play in the red zone or a goal line play, you just draw something up real quick in the sand, like you're playing (laughs) backyard football. But for the most part, you're calling plays that everybody has memorized. There's only so many of those. So you can't just walk in and go, uh, okay, I'm now the play caller, so I'm going to call something they don't like mesh rail, something they don't really run. And they probably also don't really run it because Burrow doesn't like it. I, I, he's been in the system for three years. They've added stuff from LSU, they've kept stuff from Los, Los Angeles Rams playbook type stuff, and they've added some other stuff from around the league. If I don't, I just, you can't walk in and just start throwing in all new concepts, all these other things. He's calling from the same menu. What you would see is probably just slightly different, like run pass splits. Maybe they get to some of their concepts a little bit more often. Maybe he likes getting to like uh, the double slant lion concept more than Zach Taylor does or something like that, but it's going to be the same offense. It's, it's not going to be crazy different.
1: Yeah. We'll, we'll stay with the offense right and- now. Oh, go ahead.
2: Oh, just the last thing is that I did hear Malik Wright today say something about Zach Taylor isn't going to give up uh, the play calling duties that he heard from an inside source. So Malik Wright, pretty well connected. If he heard that, then we could all put that whole idea to bed.
1: Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised if that doesn't change. We'll uh, stay with Tyler. He said last year around this time, we were begging for the playbook to be open for more deep passes down the field. And while that's not happened or hardly at all this year, how can the Bengals really get that going? You know, we talked about it the other night on the podcast, you watch the Bills offense, and I watch a 40-yard pass, a 39-yard pass, 29 yards from Josh Allen. And I'm like, oh, wait, Cincinnati only has about a 20-yarder right now. This is terrifying what they're able to do. I was very jealous. I was very jealous of what I was watching. Um, you know, are we going to see any of that? Are they going to open it up more? Could we see that on Sunday?
2: First, the Bengals have played what, in my opinion, are two of the elite defenses in this league. At least one healthy, the Steelers' defense is elite. I, I think this is going to be one of those things where the numbers aren't going to match up with what the Bengals face because TJ Watt's been out now. So, but when he's there, that's a really good defense, especially when they've got all their guys. and Joby's playing well, too. By the way, it uh, gives me a little bit of remorse about like, oh ah, man, they shouldn't let him go because he is playing well. But uh, really, you've played two elite defenses, and the offense is not doing well. But I think the explosive plays, every time I see those on Twitter and, and on TV, it's like a blown coverage. And these guys just aren't blowing the coverages down the field. They're They're playing their coverages correctly. So sometimes you can scheme this type of stuff, but really – when you're playing against that cover to Tampa two type defense, they're really keeping everything in front of them. The middle linebacker is bailing back to 15 to 20 yards in the middle of the field. The safeties, they get 20, 25 yards deep. They're basically saying you're not going to beat too steep throw underneath. And then what the Bengals have to do to really gain their explosive plays are either a get a lot of yak, like a Jamar chase, insane touchdown. Like you did a few times last year. think the Ravens think the chiefs, or B, you just keep hammering them underneath so much or with the run game that they do start to come up and then you can hit it over the top. But really, when they're what they're doing is they're just really protecting against those deep passes to try to limit the offense. Now, I need to see an explosive play, and I think the Jets defense, the safeties, the non-Sauce corners, and even Sauce himself. I mean, it is a rookie they can be exploited a bit more than what the Bengals have been facing. So I think they can get to it, but really I I do think teams are selling out to stop these explosive plays and trying to force the Bengals to make long sustained drives.
1: A lot of good mailbag questions. Honestly, we only got to about 15% of them because there were a lot and a lot of O-line, some defense problems questions that a lot of people wanted to bring up. We will get to more of those. Maybe I will make Bengals underscore Sands do a little Q&A on Twitter. He'll quote, tweet all you guys and answer all your questions, <laughs> and it'll be it'll be great. But we'll be back next week for another mailbag. Thank you so much for sending your questions. Make sure you're following along over on Twitter, Bengals underscore Sands, at Ellen Diaz Patterson Patterson. We're going to predict if uh, Cincinnati's going to get their first win of the season on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati.
0: This, this is It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagatha.
1: We are back on. It's always game day in Cincinnati. My favorite time of the show because you get one practicing, you kind of see what the team is looking like. They're ready for game week. It's officially game week in Cincinnati as they get back to the practice field. Lyle Collins was out of Wednesday's practice practice to be determined on if he's good to go. It was noted as a back injury on the injury report. We'll have more. Make sure you follow along over on Twitter. It's always game day in Cincinnati. Game Day Sensi. Follow that Bengals underscore stance at LNDS Patterson. But now now let's get to the predictions. Every single time I'm watching these pregame shows, it's just undefeated with everyone taking Cincinnati in the game. I don't think we're going to see that for some of the national shows this week, and I think someone's going to say, "Nope, not taking Cincy." Every time I do, they get the L. They haven't looked the same. Joe Burrow's semi-struggling. The offensive line is struggling. Defensively, they can't get to the quarterback. What's the gonna-
2: NFL, yeah, the NFL website already. It was almost all Bengals, but Daniel Jeremiah picked the Jets.
1: Thanks, Daniel Jeremiah. I actually really appreciate that because um, there's just too many people taking them in two weeks that you need someone to uh, go against it. What's going to happen on Sunday? I
2: think the Bengals win, but honestly, I'm getting nervous about this. I said wire to wire last time and they didn't even have a lead. <laughs> and then the first game, I did predict correctly in terms of they're winning unless they turned the ball over multiple times and they threw it, they gave the ball away five times. So, that one, I got this last one. They didn't even have any turnovers. They just lost They're shooting themselves in the foot still. They're still doing that stupid stuff. False starch, negative runs, sacks out the wazoo. Look, if they can protect the quarterback, even three, three sacks, in which that's not good, getting three sacks of the game. But if they can limit to three sacks and they can limit to one turnover, they should win this game pretty easily. Will they? I don't know. Joe Flacco was on a heater against the the Browns, but I, I don't – look, I, it, to me, it's still old Flacco who's a backup in this league. And, honestly, he's never been that great against the Bengals other than that amazing 2015 game that I always think back on, probably because the Bengals won, I think, so fondly of it. But A.J. Green and Steve Smith going back and forth, catching touchdowns, that was an awesome game. But, uh, anyway, long way to say I think the Bengals win. If I'm going to give it the score – I really don't know if the offense kicks in the high gear yet, but the defense is playing solid. I'll say an optimistic 27 to 17 victory.
1: I like that. I'm, I am I want to say that they're at some point going to get in the 30s. And I think you're going to have to get in the 30s if you want to beat Miami, not to look too far ahead, because obviously those offensive weapons, and they know how to use them. Um, but I, I think Joe starts to look like, Joe Burrow of 2021 and gets comfortable out there. As you mentioned, it's crazy that we even have to say that, that he can get sacked at like three times max. That's insane because some quarterbacks will go a whole game without getting sacked and and Joe has to deal with that. But again, he's a different type of quarterback. He's always trying to make a play too. I think the biggest thing for them and what I really want to see, obviously it would be great to get the losing streak snapped starting out fast. I mean, they're one of the most talented teams, even last year to score in the third quarter. They come back in the second quarter and they, and they light it up. It's so different from Marvin Lewis's teams where they would come back from halftime and every, everyone would be like, did they make halftime adjustments? What did they do at halftime? Uh, but with Zach Taylor's group, they could be down 11, 17. I'm like, mm, probably, they could come back and and, and win. Uh, not lately. I haven't felt that way, but just over on the last year and a half, they've, they've found ways to do that. I think that, the offensive line, it's just such a question mark with Collins. But as we've talked about before, he hasn't played his best at right tackle. So, You know, maybe the replacement that's in there will will be good for the offensive line for now until Collins is healthy, because it could be something that he's dealing with. And that's why he's struggling right now. I'm trying to think of it as a more optimistic situation with the offensive line. Will they get the run game going with Joe Mixon? Could it be a balance for this offense that, you know, take some of the pressure off Joe Burrow and and Mixon get it going? I I'll say 21. 13, um, and it would just be nice maybe to get a win and not win or lose by three points because all of that is getting real annoying fast. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I think this defense is is probably going to get more turnovers and capitalize on those. You get one, they should have had multiple in the Dallas game. I think they're going to get to Joe Flacco. Something about this franchise versus Flacco. Again, none of these players were not this defense wasn't all here when he was facing them, but I, I think they finally get pressure on a backup quarterback, because you're going to have to, if you want to stay in it. And just listening to Joe today, of course the quarterback is going to be all calm and everything's going to be fine. But he was just so chill, so calm, cool. Just like, yeah, we're going to be fine. And just talking about the matchup, like it was nothing like everything's going to be fine.
2: It's it's such a drastic difference between playing the Steelers and Cowboys defenses to playing the Jets defense, because while well, they have some guys, it's there's, there's no dude, there's no, top five guy that you have to prepare for know where he is at all times, as good as Quinn and Williams, I think is their best defensive lineman. I think as good as he is, you're not doing that. And they don't have a guy in the secondary that you're really trying to avoid sauce Gardner for all the UC fans. He's going to be great. He's a rookie in his third game and he's going against guys that are better than him. So I think they can move the ball on offense. I think that I just think that some of the, uh, Woes we're seeing with this offense is just that they had such a brutal. We keep talking about how the quarterbacks they lost to Cooper Rush and Mitch Trubisky, and we haven't really talked about how they've had such a brutal opening in terms of defenses face Those could be the best two defenses they play the entire year, especially considering how healthy they are when they played them. So, with that in mind, I think the offense opens up. I think we're gonna see some things calm down. I will say the Bengals. I believe I saw was the worst by expected points out at EPA per play. They're the worst opening 15 plays in the league. So they got to get that script a little bit better than what it is right now.
1: What do you think that is though? I mean, look, I'm not trying to, we, we talk play calling. We talked to burrow offensive line. I And not to, like, hammer on Zach, because honestly, I'm not giving up on Zach Taylor right now. I, I think, you know, this like we've talked about before, what he did last year with this team, it was unbelievable. What he does as a culture overall is great. Um, is that a coaching issue? Or are they not ready? Because it's just crazy to me that they look so flat.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, I've thought about this because this was the same case last year. He just doesn't seem like a team that starts hot. Uh, so... I think one, you do have to give a little bit of blame to Zach just in terms of even if they are just trying to figure things out in the first you know quarter or so, they have to move the ball still. They have to be able to get to their bread and butter and just see how the defense reacts and move the ball while they're doing that. But I do have the theory that a lot like uh, it's a different sport. But usually in like the first game of the finals, maybe in the first two, LeBron James isn't scoring 35. Uh, he would score like 20, and it felt like he was just calculating everything. How are they reacting when we do this? How are we reacting when we do that? And I think the Bengals' offense kind of does that too. They run a motion and a run play. They see how the defense reacts, kind of write it down. Okay, that could be something we exploit later. Let's see how they react to an under center pass, which they did get to the splits are still terrible mostly because of week one but they did get to those and they even did a straight drop back out of under center which is very 2000s and i'm honestly for it because they got a great look out of it uh write it down you know like okay we got press cover three when we went under center and just dropped back what do they do when we run play action under center okay the middle linebacker is not respecting at all he's just bailing out of there just all these type of things and then when they get on 19 play drive, some of that is they've poked and prodded and know exactly how to push which buttons when, but then the defense reacts to like that drive and then you get that last drive, which was three and out to win the game. Um, But yeah, what I think is that he takes it to the extreme. He takes the idea of poking and prodding the defense and seeing how do they react when we press this button? How do they react when we do this? How do they react with this? And then trying to exploit it later, but he takes it to like the max doesn't show enough. Doesn't show, you know, get to any of his real good plays early. He just gets to the common concepts of the the team early and sees how they react and tries to build off of that. So that's that's my working theory. I, I wouldn't know without actually talking to him or having any ear in the game plan room or anything like that or on the sideline to know like that's what they're trying to do. But that feels like what it is to me at least early in the games. We need to get
1: Zach Taylor. I will remember this his first year. Uh, And this is why the dude is awesome to me. And I know he has to do a better job as head coach and the play calling. But his first year in Cincinnati, um, we asked him right when he got to town, hey, will you join our podcast that we had going on at the Inquirer? And he said, how about when I get my first win, I'll join you guys. And who knew it was going to be the Joe Burrow draft year where they weren't going to win forever. Um, and after their first win, and I want to say it was against the Jets. Uh, it's been forever it's It was the
2: Jets. Frank Pollock was so the uh, offensive line coach. I just remember this game really well because I remember Joe Mixon going up and giving him a, like the ball and a hug or something at one point. Yeah. And it was a cool win. I remember that game.
1: Well, he said to us, it was funny, because right after the game, it was at home. It was at Paul Brown Stadium at the time. And he said, OK, what time are we recording the podcast this week? And remembered that he had told us, hey, when I get my first one, I'll join the podcast. So, Zach Taylor, if you're listening to someone from Paycor hey Stadium, we want you on. We want to talk about the slow starts. <laughs> but um, that in, a in a good way. In a great way. We're big fans. Um, <laughs>
2: but I Neither one why. of us said you should give a play calling. We, we no, was talked about clear. it because people wanted us to, but we all said no.
1: Yep. We would never say that on this, on this podcast to be determined if that's still the thing after Sunday. Uh, but I don't know why that story just popped in my head. I want to go to the wide receiver room really quickly before we wrap up. You mentioned sauce. I feel like, you know, as we mentioned, the offense is going to finally get it going. What receiver is going to have a day on the Cincinnati offense?
2: Um. Hmm. See, what I want to say is that as long as these teams are playing all these two high stuff, really, it should be T over the middle. But I feel like the safe option is to just keep hammering Jamar Chase is going to be the best receiver of the day because he has been the past two games. He wasn't in the playoffs. I think T was better, at least in the Super Bowl. But uh, yeah, in the playoffs, sorry, in the regular season so far, it's been all Jamar Chase. So I'll just keep hitting that until T has like a 150 yard game. And then I'll start going back and forth and maybe mix in some Boyd.
1: My honorable mention is going to be Tyler Boyd. I think he has himself a day. He'll have a touchdown. But, yeah, you can't go wrong if you give the ball to Jamar Chase. I know you're busy. So we're predicting that they're going to get their first win of the season. I would love to do a post-game podcast with a win because it's been a downer the last couple of weeks. And that's the next time we are going to record. Make sure you're following along. And uh, you can get us on Twitter, Bengals underscore Sands, at LNDS Patterson. It's always game day in Cincinnati. But what is up there on all Bengals?
2: Right now, you can go check out, wrote all about the uh, Tampa 2 as a coverage and the concepts the Bengals are currently using to beat it. Because I don't want to just write a whole bunch of like, well, this is how the league beats it. Because the Bengals can't really run these things until at least the bye week. They can't install a new concept because they're game playing so much for the opponent. So I just went to the concepts they're using, explain why they work, explain the read on them, and then what changes if they need to make any that could happen. So uh, I think it was a really cool article. I enjoyed writing it. It seems like people enjoyed reading it. So check that out if you want. Um going to try to get some type of Jets preview even if it's something small just about Quinn and Williams. But uh, it does get harder and harder when you keep losing to have the energy to go, all right, let's watch three Jets games and get a feel for <laughs> this player. It's just like, oh, there's going to be like 12 people that read this and <laughs> put a lot of effort into this losing. Uh, That's-
1: Well, that's what's wild. One of the things I looked forward to last year is Mondays after a win because every, you could find national articles. Everybody wanted to talk about them. They were fun offense overall, all of it. I mean, people were even saying they were Super Bowl contenders in October last year, which is insane to think about now if you go back to all of that. Uh, but yeah, they need to win because you're going to have even more great stuff to write about over on all Bengals. And you'll have. And if they lose and the offensive line is bad, you'll have all the clips on your Twitter. So
2: I'll, I'll just keep I'm, my, if they lose, I might just become a DJ reader only <laughs> Post those clips. I would mean, not really, but man.
1: But you know what you need to do if they lose. I mean, I don't want them to. I'd really like them to win because it's fun to talk about wins. I tell people that all the time. Even the non-biased journalists who cover the team full time or beat writers have said, "Isn't it better when the team wins?" Like for your your content, they're like, "100%. It's so much better," um and it's just great. I want I want to see them finally get a win and Joe Burrow turn it around. But if they do lose, uh, or maybe you should just do it now change your twitter handle to dj reader underscore number one fan Uh,
2: all all pro probably not but i will be making a hard case for him to be an all pro in the losing season it's
1: gonna happen i I really don't want you to have to i mean i love dj reader but i don't want you to have to write (laughs) about (laughs)
2: it i have to do it you're making the bet. hey you should change your thing if you lose no yeah it's gonna suck when you do that isn't it
1: (laughs) (laughs) I hate all of it. You're not changing anything, but he'll get an all-pro this year, and we will thank you for making that happen. DJ Reader is amazing, and uh, we are big fans of him on this podcast. But thank you, as always, for listening to It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. We'll be back Sunday evening after the Bengals and Jets game.